Um, I'm going to I'm going to uh, um, continue in our series on God's glorious salvation this morning. <clears throat> uh, lecture number twelve, again on unconditional election. This is uh, this is part three. By way of review, um, in 1610, there were a handful of students, students of Jacob Arminius, who rejected the reformational insistence on God's absolute sovereignty um, and the doctrines of predestination, of election, free will. Uh, In their protest, they articulated five things that were problematic for them. The first on their list was the fact um, that they believed God's election of individuals is conditional. It is conditioned on the necessary uh, pieces of repentance and faith. That is, God looks down the quarters of time, sees someone who responds to him in repentance and faith, and that's the one that God elects. He chooses those individuals. In 1618, the the Synod of Dort uh, clarified what they understood Scripture to, to, uh, to, to mean, and they responded to the five statements of protest by the students of Jacob Arminius. Um, And this is where we get the five points of Calvinism. Now, now that's a a misnomer because um, Calvinism is far more than five points. Calvinism cannot be uh, compacted into five points. It is simply, when we refer to the five points, we are simply referring to the response to um, the, uh, the people from uh, the Synod of Dort, which was a, a, a collection, I believe there were um, representatives, uh, believers, pastors, and, and such from, five, from, from eight different countries, I believe, um, that gathered together in Holland and dealt with the protests of the students from uh, Jacob Arminius. And these are the, these are the points that the Synod of Dort uh, put together, they, they, they did so not in response point one, point one, point two, point two, not in that kind of a response, um, but, but this, this is the, um, what we call the five points of Calvinism, and, and the authors organized them so that we have the word tulip spelled out. Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Uh, We are talking about the second one and have for the last couple of weeks. Uh, We've already dealt with the um, doctrine of total depravity, um, maybe better understood, better labeled, radical corruption. Um, And um, so here we go. Um, in um, uh, 1707, so about a hundred years after the students of Arminius made their protestation to the um, um, to, uh, to to the church in Holland, 
1707, there was a, a man born in England by the name of Charles Wesley. The younger brother of the, his, his older sibling, John, um, Charles Wesley was a preacher like his brother, and together they were instrumental in establishing what was to become the Methodist Church. They were uh, very interested in establishing a, a method, a discipline of the Christian life. Charles was particularly known for his gift in music. Uh, he had he, he published thousands of hymns. Uh, one website that I saw um, this week said that he 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 published some 6,500 hymns, and another uh, site said that he uh, he had written uh, some 10,000. Very prolific, and and you know we have we love these hymns. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing! Hark, the herald angels sing! Christ the Lord is risen today. Come thou long-expected Jesus, and can it be? All of these are Charles Wesley tunes. This is one that I dare say none of you have seen, or heard, or read. It's titled, The Horrible Decree. And here, is, it, it, here it is in text form. It's 15 verses written by Charles Wesley. It, it is his response to this doctrine of unconditional election. He calls it a horrible decree. And I'd like to, to, to read a, a few of the stanzas to you. Uh, there is a great deal of misunderstanding in terms of uh, what the, um, uh, the, the position is that we, we call the Calvinist position. We, we might um, more accurately call it the biblical position. They would uh, uh, protest that I would, I would, I would use that, that word in that way. Uh, but there is a good deal of misunderstanding um, of, of, of characterizing it that is um, creating a straw man that's easy to knock down. Here's a, here's a, here's a couple of the stanzas. Uh, stanza number five. To limit thee, they dare. Now he's, he's speaking of, of, of Calvinists. And they understand this, this, um, this idea of, of God unconditionally choosing particular individuals, they look at that as a limitation. The Calvinists want to limit God. He can only choose those whom the Calvinists say he can choose. Let me continue. To limit thee, they dare, blaspheme thee to thy face. Deny their fellow worms a share in thy redeeming grace. In other words, the, the uh, fellow worms are uh, uh, other, other people, and they are denying, the Calvinists are denying these people can have a share in God's grace. It's the Calvinists' fault, of course. That's his, his, his assumption. 
All for their own they take, thy righteousness engross. Of none effect to most they make the merits of thy cross. In uh, stanzas number 8 and 9, um, he is, he is uh, putting words in the mouth of the Calvinist. So this is, in, this is in quotations. The God of love passed by the most of those that fell, ordained poor reprobates to die, and forced them into hell. Unquote. So what Wesley is doing here is he's, he's projecting uh, this kind of verbiage on the Calvinist, saying that um, they argue that God has forced other people into hell. Um, he, now he, he's, he's quoting someone else, but also in the, in the Calvinist camp. He did not do the deed, unquote, then he puts in parenthesis, some have more mildly raved. Then he quotes again. He did not damn them, but decreed they never should be saved. Unquote. So he's saying there's another group w- w- within the Calvinists who, who, who will argue that, that um, a, a God has not damned them, but he has decreed that they will never be saved. So what the Arminian wants to do is to rescue God from this kind of nonsense, that he would not allow people that want to be saved to be saved. Verse 9, and he quotes again, uh, the the, the Calvinist. He puts these words in in, in, uh, the Calvinist's mouth. He did not them bereave of life or stop their breath. His grace he only would not give and starved their souls to death. Unquote. In other words, Charles Wesley says, the, the, the Calvinist says of God that he is going to starve them of his grace. Again, it's, it's um, uh, a, a, a misunderstanding of God and his grace and his calling. Um, continuing again in verse 9. Satanic sophistry, he writes. But still, all gracious God, they charge the sinner's death on thee who broughtst him with thy blood. Jesus is responsible for the death of sinners. For, 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 forget um, the fact that, that God is simply being just and allowing sinners to do what they want to do. Uh, verse 15. O oh, take me at my word and arm me with thy power. 
Then call me forth to suffer, Lord, to meet the fiery hour. In death will I proclaim that all may hear thy call and clap my hands amid the flame and shout, He died for all. The Arminian position says that God made salvation possible for every single person without exception. Listen to um, this statement by Jerry Walls. He's a professor of philosophy and religion at Houston Baptist University. He's an Armenian. He said, "Um, Armenians hold that since the very nature of God is holy love, God unconditionally loves all of his creatures and sincerely acts to promote their true flourishing and well-being. This is why Arminians reject the Reformed doctrine of election as unthinkable. For that doctrine holds that God unconditionally chooses to save some while passing over the rest, thereby consigning them to eternal misery. A God of unconditional love would never pass over any of his lost creatures in this fashion. There is this implicit assumption that God is not allowing some people. The, 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 the assumption is, um, on the Armenians, that this is the Calvinist position. God is not allowing some people to, to be saved who want to be saved. Now, that is a caricature that is not accurate. That's not what the Bible teaches us. Um, if, if, if we were to take um, uh, Jerry Wall's uh, position as, as a, as a uh, reliable standard of Arminian thinking, we might be tempted to, to say their, their theme song is really one of John Lennon's tunes. All you need is love. Because God is a God of love. He wouldn't ever do something that we would say is not loving. Now, let me me go backwards uh, just a little bit where we were uh, last week. Um, John Wesley, uh, among many other evangelical uh, uh, Arminians, affirm that man is spiritually dead apart from the grace of Christ. Listen to his words again. I read this last week. uh, I put it before you again. Adam, before his fall, had such freedom of will that he could choose good or evil. But since the fall, no child of man has a natural power to choose anything that is truly good, such as the freedom of the will, free only to do evil, to wander further and further away from the living God. So how does the Arminian get from a man being totally dead spiritually, at the bottom of the ocean, not at the top, flailing around looking for some help, He's spiritually dead. How does the Armenian get from that place where they cannot respond to the things of God to that place where 
they are now able to, of their own choosing. You don't have to have a, a, a measure of, of specific and special grace in order to trust Christ. You don't need that. All you need is love and a little faith and a little repentance and, and you're in. And God will choose you, elect you because of that. The problem is, and we talked about this uh, extensively last week, how, how do you get from being spiritually dead from having the ability to choose on your own? The Arminian has to create something. There, there's a vacuum there. And it comes in the doctrine of prevenient grace. Prevenient grace meaning a grace that comes beforehand. Preceding grace. And they argue this. On the basis of Christ's death, God extends grace to every human being. Making it now possible. They're not, they're not spiritually dead anymore. Uh, they are um, in, a, in a spiritual no man's land where now they can choose life or death. And, and, and salvation is fundamentally up to you. You don't need something like God's special grace. Um, this, this makes the cross, or, or I'm sorry, let me start that sentence again. Um, th- this makes the work of Christ on the cross um, a, a work where, where salvation is now possible, but it's not actual. So when Jesus died and he said it is finished, in the Arminian understanding, um, what's finished is the, the possibility of salvation. Salvation is not accomplished. No, nothing has been accomplished other, other than making salvation a possibility for all mankind. Which, which leaves God in his holy heaven, wringing his hands, hoping that somebody is going to see and understand and believe. A.W. Pink writes this, to argue that God is trying his best to save all mankind, but that the majority of men will not let him save them is to insist that the will of the creator is impotent and that the will of the creature is omnipotent. To throw the blame, as many do, upon the devil does not remove the difficulty, for if Satan is defeating the purpose of God, then Satan is almighty and God is no longer the supreme being. So we have now removed God from being the sovereign. And the creature is sovereign. Um, now, this this, I, this idea that um, God chooses individuals without any condition on their part is a very difficult thing for us to wrap our mind around. That that simply doesn't make a lot of sense. 
there, 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 is, there is tension in our own thinking. How, how, how can this be? Quoting A.W. Pink again, the reason why anybody believes in election is because he finds it clearly taught in God's word. No man or number of men ever originated this doctrine, like the teaching of eternal punishment. It conflicts with the dictates of the carnal mind and is repugnant to the sentiments of the unregenerate heart. And like the doctrine of the Holy Trinity and the miraculous birth of our Savior, the truth of election must be received with simple, unquestioning faith. We, we believe it because it is there in Scripture. Now, we've, we've, uh, we've given a scriptural basis for, for this uh, before, but let me, let me re- re- uh, uh, reinforce some things. You, you've got those in your notes. Let me see where it is. Okay, so we're in the middle right now. Oh, this is a good Put this in your notes from uh, from, from from Augustine. You 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 picked that up too. I, 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 oh yeah, it's it's right here in my notes. I just forgot to read it. Um, Let us then understand the calling whereby they become elected. Speaking of, uh, of of believers, not elected because they have believed, but elected that. Smart man Augustine, clearly reading the scriptures, carefully reading the scriptures, made that statement. All right, so, so here, here's, some, here's, here's some scriptural affirmations, maybe a, f- a few others, uh, new ones that we haven't talked about yet, that, that affirm this is what the Bible teaches us, as difficult as it might be to wrap our mind around. You can follow along with me, or simply listen. Ephesians chapter 2, in verse uh, 8, well, the beginning of the verse, uh, beginning of the chapter, Paul talks about our, our spiritual deadness. And then he says in verse 8, it is by God's grace that we have been saved. Um, down in, um, in verse 12, he, he, he makes this statement. <clears throat> you were speaking to Gentile believers who formerly had no connection with God. They weren't Jews. They had no no place in the temple or anything like that. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Someone who is apart from from faith, apart from the faith community, um, those people have no hope. None. Even even if they were to believe, even if they were to repent, which is not going to happen because they have no hope, they have no God, they have nothing... These people need something they do not possess. The cross of Christ didn't just make salvation possible, didn't raise us up from the bottom of the ocean and then 
made us floundering around as as if, well, the choice is yours. Grab this, the ring buoy and be saved or not. No, we, we, ha- we are still at the bottom of the ocean. Having no hope, God is not in our world. Ephesians, no, I'm sorry, that we just read that. Acts chapter 13. I have read Arminian um, responses to uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 48, and I, 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 I am just kind of appalled at the um, lack of scholarship looking at this particular verse and reading it at face value. What, what does it say? Well, it, it, it's, it's one that, that Arminians cannot just um, um, br- brush aside. <clears throat> Paul talking, uh, or, or um, he, he talks, talks to the Gentiles and, and preaches the gospel to them. When the, when the gospels heard this, heard the gospel message, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life Believed. So this this verse points out that that believers come to faith having already been appoint, appointed unto eternal life. God from eternity past chose people in order that they might believe. He doesn't choose them because they have believed or in anticipation of their belief. Um, John chapter 10, we've looked at that a number of times. Those who do not believe do, do so because they're not God's sheep. <clears throat> look, look, at, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. Paul writes, we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in truth. I'm reading from the New American Standard text. And there's a footnote in my, uh, in my Bible that um, points out that in the phrase, for salvation through sanctification can also be rendered for salvation in sanctification. Sanctification is the purpose or the design of our salvation. That is, God saves us in order that we might reflect Christ and in so doing might reflect God's glory. Our salvation is for God's glory. It's not for us. Now we get the benefit of that because living a godly, sanctified life is how we were meant to live. I mean, that's like 
your, your, your car is, unless you have an electric one, um, your car is meant to run on gasoline. If you put water in your gas tank, it will be a lot cheaper, but it won't run. It's not designed to run on water. It's designed to run on gasoline. Similarly, um, we, we are designed to run according to the fuel that God's provided, namely godliness. So, so uh, the, the point here is that our, our sanctification, including our faith and repenting, is not the cause, uh, uh, is, is not the... Um, Yes, it's not, it's not the cause of our salvation. It is the result of our salvation. Um, let, let me, let me uh, spend a little bit of time here talking about uh, a couple of, of mistakes. Um, and I won't, I won't take the time to, to go back and point out the error in Charles, Charles Wesley's um, uh, the horrible decree song uh, t- text is the lyrics there, um, but we certainly certainly find it find it there. <clears throat> the first mistake is uh, with regard to unconditional election is to say that God monergistically, that is, He solely is the one who creates faith in the elect and creates unbelief in the condemned. That's, that's, a, that's a misunderstanding when, when we say, well, well, God gives faith to one and he gives unbelief to another. And here's why that's problematic. Unbelief is sin. And it is to impugn God it is to say that that God is a, a he is he is a sinner <laughs> to cause someone else to sin by way of unbelief. Does that make sense? So, <clears throat> um, though God is sovereign in all things, He is not the author of evil. He wills evil to exist but he is not its author. He is not responsible for it. He will allow the unbeliever to persist in his unbelief, but he doesn't create unbelief within an unbeliever. He allows them to go as they desire to go. He's not responsible for it. <clears throat> now, when the, when the Bible talks about, we've looked at this these passages before when, when, the, when the scriptures talk about God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That doesn't mean that God created evil within Pharaoh's heart. What it means is God took his hand off the wheel in a, in a sense. I mean, it, it, in one sense, we, 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 we can't say that he ever takes his hand off the wheel because he's always sovereign and he's always in control. Um, but he takes his hand off the wheel in the sense that he allows Pharaoh to go the way Pharaoh wants to go. 
It's another way of saying um, God is removing his common grace from Pharaoh and simply letting him go the way he would go. Romans chapter 1 would be another, another uh, uh, place for us to look at, at that truth. <clears throat> this is what, um, this was what the Westminster Confession of Faith says re- regarding uh, God's electing. Quote, As God has appointed the elect unto glory, so has he, by the eternal and most free purpose of his will, ordained all the means thereto. So he, 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 he elects the end and the steps to get to the end. Wherefore, they who are elected, being fallen in Adam, are redeemed by Christ, are effectually called unto faith in Christ by his Holy Spirit, working in due season. They are justified, adopted, sanctified, kept by his power through faith unto salvation, Neither are any of other redeemed by Christ, effectually called, justified, adopted, sanctified, saved, but the elect only, which is to say that God is fully in charge. He is the one who calls men and women unto faith. He is the one who saves them. Uh, Next statement. Uh, I'm reading in uh, chapter 3. This is article 7 of the Westminster Confession. The rest of mankind, God was pleased according to the unsearchable counsel of his own will, whereby he extends or withholds mercy as he pleases for the glory of his sovereign power of his creatures to pass by and to ordain them to dishonor and wrath for their sin to the praise of his glorious grace. God doesn't create unbelief, but in Um, some he will allow them to go their own way. They have chosen to stay away from God. They hate God. They're spiritually dead. They can't discern spiritual truth, uh, 1 Corinthians 2. And and they, they, they want to get rid of God. They want to be as far away from God as they can get, and God allows them to do that. Second mistake um, is to assume that God uh, treats all people the same. Um, um, Let me me use this illustration. Um, Maybe you've done this before. You 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 uh, you, p- you pick a daisy, and uh, and you say, "He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not." And some people will will assume falsely as they they are, are, are wrestling with this this concept, that, and they have a misunderstanding of it. Um, they they will say, "Well, well, God treats all of us in this way that um, he he simply is." is randomly choosing one and randomly not choosing one, and he's throwing some people away. And those that he throws away uh, might be people that would uh, want to come to faith. And 
by, by saying that, that, that God's condition or, or his, his election is without condition, um, he, he's, he's tossing people away that, that might want to come to faith in Christ. Um, an, an accurate understanding of, of, of this position is that's never going to happen. There's never going to be anybody who wants to believe, wants to be in God's presence, who is, who is denied because, well, their name's not in the Lamb's Book of Life. Sorry, you're out of luck. No, that's a gross misunderstanding of this, of, of, of this uh, position and this, this biblical doctrine. Those people that are spiritually dead don't want anything to do with God. And God is completely just to allow them to go their own way. He also, while he is just, is merciful to some. And he allows them the the, the privilege of getting to know him and coming into his presence. And these are the ones that Christ died for. I encourage you to turn with me to Romans chapter 9. That go-to chapter in dealing with this whole doctrine as difficult as it is. It is admittedly difficult. In Romans 9, uh, verses 14 through 18, um, there... Paul is dealing with the objection. Well, well, th- this whole idea of, of God choosing some is, is unfair. Romans 9, 14. What should we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then... It does not depend upon the man who wills or the man who runs, that is the man who who makes a choice or the man who does some kind of religious deed. Salvation is not dependent on a man who wills or a man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says of Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he, has, whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. It is God's choice. It, he's not unfair. So then the objection comes in the next verses. Well, God's, God's calling is arbitrary. It's like he's got a daisy, and he just picks some then and throws away others. Others, some, and some of these people might want to come to faith. You will say to me then, verse 19, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use? And another for common use? What if God, 
although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. God is the sovereign. God is the one who is in charge of all things. He can do exactly as he wills. He's never unfair, never arbitrary. He gives sinners the the freedom to act with within the nature that they have. Of course, our nature is is fallen; it is corrupt, and we will do what we choose to do. And God will sometimes allow us to do just that, to our own destruction. But none of those people want to have any kind of relationship with God. Shortly before his death, uh, James Montgomery Boyce wrote uh, these words. Since grace is the source of the life that is mine, and faith is a gift from on high, I'll boast in my Savior all merit, decline, and glorify God till I die. Shortly before his death. I was at a conference in Florida at the time of Montgomery's, James Montgomery Boyce's uh, 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 death. And there was just kind of a hushed, oh, in the crowd when that was announced. Shortly before he, he died, um, he received a letter from a man who had heard him teaching on the doctrine of predestination. Uh, this, this man was admittedly horrified by this whole doctrine. It was something new to him. And he, uh, um, he, uh, he, he hated what, what uh, Boyce was saying and, and was thinking in his mind, this, this cannot be the work of a loving God. Of course, the, that, that kind of a statement... And it's reflected in the, the quote that I gave you earlier by Jerry Walls. Um, the, uh, the, the Arminian puts God's love and defines it by our human love, what, would, what makes sense to us. That's the standard by which we understand who God is. Which is, that's flawed. Um, th- this man who, uh, who, who wrote to, to James Boyce, his, his perspective on this, this whole doctrine of election and predestination changed with the death of his father. This is what he wrote. I was at my father's side holding his hand when he took his final breath. I did not call the nurse in for approximately 20 minutes. During that time, I sat next to his body. There was absolutely no life in it. And I was helpless to do anything to change that fact. I began to think about Ephesians 2, that we are dead in our transgressions and sins. 
I thought of the account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus would respond to nothing other than the voice of Jesus. He continued, these passages like this came, keep kept coming to mind. Well, needless to say, I was convinced. For the first time in my life, I understood the true significance of election. I was overwhelmed by God's grace. Why would he choose me? Then I realized it was because he's sovereign. And not because he saw anything in me. I was overwhelmed by his grace. Truly the wonder of wonders is that God chooses to save anyone.